Okay, I have to explain that one. Last Wednesday night, I had the privilege of going down to Houston to the rodeo and saw Brooks and Dunn. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Uh, God's good. Uh, I am uh, happy to see all of you here today. Uh, I hope everyone got the like, we're canceling service memo. Because I'm like thinking to myself, even called Pastor Trent, we were talking early, and I'm like, did we announce enough where we actually inform people about that this year? Because I don't remember announcing. He said, I think we did announce it. We, we put it out on Facebook. We put it out on Instagram. And we also put it as a header on our church website. So if you look outside and it looks like the roads are icy, go to any one of those three places and um, you won't do what Gary McCall did last week and drive here. But I will say this. I will say this. Uh, they made it here safely and no one was here. And then he posts on Facebook that uh, he told the girls either either we've canceled church today or the rapture has taken place. Okay? My immediate thought on that was is he has a really high opinion of some of you. <laughs> so the rest of you will catch up with that later. That was, a, that was a joke. Gary was like, the entire church went to heaven. Yeah, Gary, high opinion of our church. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I believe you are, so that, that's good. We have hope. <laughs> we have hope. Anyway, I hate canceling services. Um, it, it's just like it's just like like just a terrible thing for me. I struggle with that. I mean, I see these churches that call it Saturday night. There were even churches that called it Friday night because they trust Oklahoma meteorologists, and I'm always like. I've done that before and then wake up on Sunday morning and there was no snow. And they were predicting nine feet. <laughs> Is it the truth? And then those times that they predict a quarter of an inch, you get nine feet. Yeah, I mean, so anyway, I, 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 always, I always wait to the last minute. I know that makes pastoral team nervous, but I just I wait to the last minute to cancel because I hate doing it. I like us coming together. But I also don't like us sliding into ditches. And so, um, and so we know what that's about. We, we, we didn't cancel one time. We sat here and watched car after car go off over into that ditch. And, and Kenny Shanks just brought his uh, wrecker here and was just pulling the church people out for free. You know what I'm saying? It's like, just pull them out, pull them out. Get us out of the ditch. So it was, it was something else. Um, I would like to say that next Sunday is going to be a very special Sunday. Um, Baylor and Charity, my oldest son and his wife, they, if you, those of you that don't know them, they work for a missions organization in Colorado Springs and doing a fantastic work. They send um, young adults, uh, they train them and send them into what is the 1040 window, which is the most under-evangelized region in the world where um, it's 99.99999% everything else but Christian in the 1040 window. And um, some very uh, hot spots they're, they're, they send uh, uh, people into. And Baylor and Charity are very instrumental in training the missionaries to go there. And they are actually going themselves. They're going to Asia in um, a couple of months. They're going to spend several weeks there. And, um, and so I invited them to come and, and share some of that vision with us. And, and hopefully we can help them uh, defray the expense. Uh, it's a very expensive trip. 
that they're, that they're undertaking. And if you would just be so kind to add to your normal, your normal giving, if you would just add a little more, we're going to take a special offering for them so that we can um, help send them uh, to um, the other side of the world in about six weeks. And so keep that in mind. It's going to be a great Sunday, very exciting. Um, I, I actually have never, have never done that with um, them. And so, um, and so I, I appreciate it. If you'd pray this week, pray that the Lord would lay an amount on your heart to give in, in, in conjunction with your regular giving, that you would sow a seed toward them. And 100%, we, our missions offerings, church doesn't take any percentage. Nothing comes out um, of that offering. If, if it's, if it's $10,000, they get $10,000. That's just the way we do things. And so I know a lot of other churches don't do it that way. They take an offering and take a percentage. Nah, uh, not going to do that. When I, when I traveled as an evangelist, uh, there was an offering taken. I had family there, and, and they gave significantly. The pastor said this um, offering is for the evangelist, and so my family members gave significantly. And then after church, uh, we, were, we were set around talking, and um, the pastor handed me $25 and um, he said, here's your offering. He said, I took the rest for myself because we need it more than you do. Yeah. Well, that'll make you treat people a little differently, won't it? And so uh, I, I'm very conscientious about that. Pastor Trent, two weeks ago, uh, started our Easter series, and we're talking about the grand story, the grand story. That it was really... Um, Pastor Trent, and we were riding together um, to go pick up the car for our series that's coming up, What's Driving You? And um, we started talking about Easter, about our Easter series and what, what, you know, we really kind of wrap our head around. Do we do a pre-series? Do we do a post-series? Do we wait and start the Easter series later? And and it, it was Pastor Trent that, that said, you know, he said, it's been a while since we did a, a biblical series and we try to rotate uh, Bible, theology, and practice. And so we, we've done a couple of series that talk about kind of practical living and practice of living for Christ and prayer and things like that. And so he was like, you know, I think it'd be cool maybe if we kind of uh, go in the vein of what we did on the parables, that maybe we look at the Old Testament and lead into, lead into Easter, explaining how important the Old Testament is to the New Testament story. That, you know, a lot of times we get this idea, and there are even some churches and some denominations that even uh, support this idea, that, that now that we're the church, we don't really need the Old Testament. That, I mean, the Old Testament is nice, but the Old Testament really kind of pertains to the Old Covenant, and the New Testament pertains to the New Covenant, and so they really don't bridge the two. They, they kind of consider the Old Testament old and the New Testament new and focus mainly on the New Testament. And, and you know, I can understand uh, how that might be contrived in their mind, but the reality of it is the Bible, although, although those who have uh, translated the Bible and those who have compiled the books did in fact separate old and new and and old covenant new covenant but but the reality of the bible is is the bible is one cohesive book okay uh, jesus even in his teaching made the comment that i didn't come to do away with the law i came to perfect it 
that, that there's still a law that's going to be written not on tablets of stone, he said, or on parchment, but, but it's going to be written in our heart. And so we reflect back. And there's a, lot, there's a lot you can do with that. For instance, in the New Testament, we talk about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And in the Old Testament, you have the Ten Commandments. And it's very interesting how many of the works of the flesh fit into the Ten Commandments. That, that, that didn't change, that God's moral law remained the same But in the New Testament, we have a better option than white-knuckling like they had to do under the law. Like, you know, just here it is, read it and do it. In the New Testament, we have the law written on our heart and we have the Holy Spirit working in us. So it's the fruit of the Spirit that helps us overcome. So we're not trying to obey the Ten Commandments on our own. But we have the Holy Spirit working with us in the New Covenant saying, okay... What the law couldn't do for you, the Holy Spirit's going to. Come on, somebody. Do you understand that? And so the, 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 the divide is bridged. And so I think it's really important. Uh, Pastor Trent, he covered creation and the creation story, and he ended it. He ended it with the fall of man, but the promise from God that that serpent's head would be crushed. And, and although the heel will be stricken, the head would be crushed, and, and, and that beautiful parallel to Jesus being hung on a cross that Pastor Trent brought out, that even like three pages into your Bible, we're already talking about, we're pointing to the cross, we're pointing to Christ, all right? Well, today, I want to take it uh, just a, a little bit forward from there, because I, I think that it's important for us to push that story a little further as we talk about what the Bible talks about, the father of faith. So, I mean, we understand in the New Testament church that we are a faith-filled people, all right? This whole thing operates on faith. It doesn't, it doesn't operate on works, but it, it, it's, it's by the grace of God through faith, all right? So, we are a faith-filled people. Everything that we receive from the kingdom of God, we receive by grace through faith. That somehow or another, we just have to bring ourselves to believe. And there's no greater foundation to understand faith and the act of faith than to look at the story of Abraham. So I want to begin with Genesis 12, and we're going to begin with the very first verse here. The Lord said to Abram, now don't get confused, we're talking about Abraham. I'm going to explain the name change here in a moment. Go from your country. Your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. Listen very carefully. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you I will curse. And listen. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. I mean, think about this for a moment. Here is this 75-year-old man, and his, his whole story starts with a call from God for him to pick everything up in his life and start moving. And not just move, but to be a nomad mover. And he was commanded to leave his place of origin, to leave his place of lineage, to become a sojourner in what would become the promised land. And God gave him this tremendous promise that the land he walked on would become 
the land of his descendants. Look at Genesis 12, 7. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now this particular promise holds great intrigue because Abram, who God would change his name to Abraham, was 75 years old and he and his wife could not have children. I mean, think about how much faith it takes to hear a promise from God that says, I'm going to bless your descendants when you can't even have children. All right? And then it even, it even moves further, and, and, and we understand in the Old Testament especially the significance of Bible names and, and, and to understand that, that Bible names meant more than just being able to identify you on your driver's license. All right? I mean, names don't really mean that much to us, especially in the Western culture. Um, uh, some people just pick names uh, by throwing darts at a, at a map. That's how we came up with Baylor. It landed on Waco, and we're like, we can't call him Waco. And then we came up with Boston. That was a little luckier of a throw. You know what I'm saying, Boston? Not really. That's not how that happened. But uh, uh, some, uh, some people just spell words backwards or something. I don't know where they, where they come up with the names. But, but, but by and large, names are kind of common and popular, but, but they're really just an identifying marker. In the Old Testament, it was even proven that someone's name at birth would indicate who they would be later in life. I mean, like, it's very interesting that, that Abraham would name a son Jacob. And, and that name literally means deceiver. And then later on... He would become a deceiver, but then he would be transformed, and his name would be changed by God to Israel. Think about it. So there's significance here. And I I thought it was very cool to see that Abram means high father, all right? So it basically means a a royalty almost, just something in that society. But, But when God changed his name to Abraham... Abraham means father, listen, father of a multitude. Think about this. Think about this. Genesis 17 says it like this. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. You won't just be high father, but your name will be Abraham. Your name will be father of a multitude, for I have made you a father of many nations. Think about this. Because a lot of times when we think about Abraham, we only think of him as the father of one nation. The nation of Israel. But the promise from God is saying, you're not going to be just the father of one nation. You're going to be the father of many nations. And then he went on to say, I will make you very fruitful and I will make nations of you. Come on. And kings will come from you. Wow. Kings. Now think about it. I don't mean to get too far ahead of myself here, but one of the most misunderstood ideas among the Jews during the time of Christ was that the idea was the idea that the Messiah 
would be from many nations. Which includes the non-Jew Gentiles, and that's us, unless you're a blood Jew in the room today. Think about it. As we, as we unfold the story of Abraham, I want your mind to be engaged with this idea that from the very beginning of this thing called the walk of faith, God was already pointing even past Calvary to the church. He was already pointing, saying, you're going to be the father of many nations. Which again, which again, we're talking about a man who he and his wife, past 75 years old, had no children and were incapable of conceiving a child. But somehow or another, in the heart, in the heart of Abraham, he just believed. I mean, somehow in his heart, I mean, I don't know how he did it. But somehow or another, it's a strange God. He's going to a strange land. He's got a newfound faith. He picks everything up. And he starts walking. Now, the writer of, of Romans made an interesting parallel here for us to the Gentile church. This was a church at Rome. This is a Gentile church. In Romans chapter 4, verse 16, he wrote, Therefore, the promise comes by faith. Are you all following with this? The promise comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring. Listen, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. The writer here is literally telling us that that promise made to Abraham all the way back in the, in the early part of, of Genesis. That the promise made to Abraham wasn't just for Abraham's natural seed, but it was going to be for Abraham's spiritual seed as well. That he is the father of us all. Not the father of just one nation, but the father of many nations. And how does he become the father of many nations? Through Christ. Through what Christ did at Calvary. The, the, the battle that was won on the cross. And the birth of the church that came as a result of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That the church, you and I, can be grafted into the family of Abraham as the family of faith. And then he goes on to say this, as it's written, I have made you a father of many nations. Isn't that interesting? He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, think about it. He's not 75 anymore. 25 years go by. 25 years of walking. And his wife had yet to bear him the child. But he was about 100 years old. And that Sarah's womb was also dead. 
Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. All the way back in Genesis 12 through 17, we see the story of the universal church unfold. God was already showing that the triumph of Christ opened the way for all people, no matter what race, no matter what creed, no matter what nationality, no matter what color, to find the blessing and hope and salvation through faith. God promised Abraham that his wife would give birth to a son. That's in Genesis 17, 19. Then God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. And it happened just as God said. Isaac was born and grew into a strong young man and at this point God put Abraham's faith and devotion to the test. Here's this testing and This is where I'm going to wrap up today. It's very interesting that God commanded Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. I mean, here is is the promise. Think about it. The promised child. I mean, it would be Isaac, my correction. It would be Isaac. That would give birth to Jacob. It would be Jacob that would become Israel. It would be through that lineage. All the way down to Christ. It would be that place. That promised land that that Jesus Christ would walk. It would be that place, that promised land that Jesus Christ would be hung on a cross. Buried in a tomb. Resurrect on the third day. It would be that place. And yet here, one of those strange occurrences takes place. That God would would speak to Abraham and say, I want you to sacrifice your son. Hope you see a parallel. Genesis 22. Then God said, take your son, your only son. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a Burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. The faith of Abraham. Because the next verse reveals to us. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took two servants and his son. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God told him about. The faith of Abraham. 
He had so much confidence in the promise that God had put in his life. The New Testament, it recounts this and makes the statement that he was convinced that God could even bring him back from the dead. Think about that. Man, what a parallel. That the faith of Abraham was so strong. He says, okay, I can do that. I can do that because God has a way of resurrecting the only begotten. How how did Abraham even have that kind of faith at that point? How did he even, I mean, he had no Bible to read. He had no story really to tell. How did he even have that kind of faith that he would say that God has the power to resurrect the only begotten? God has that kind of power. So he loaded up his donkey. He took his son and two servants and off they went. Continuing this amazing walk of faith. As it points so directly and so clearly to what would happen so many hundreds of years later. That another only begotten's coming. That another only son is coming. And that only son's going to be sacrificed. Now, when we read the story of Abraham, after he, after he took his son and he took the wood, on the fourth verse, I, I, you know, I have read my Bible through cover to cover. I have read the story of Genesis, I have read the story of Abraham. I don't know how many times. I mean, I've been in vocational preaching since I was 19 years old. And I'm 52 in a couple of months. And so that's a long time to, to see something that's so plain in the Word of God that I should have known this, you know. I mean, I've got a Master's of Divinity and a Doctor of Ministry degree from ORU, and nobody ever told me this. I mean, we studied Genesis, and I didn't see it. I mean, I wrote papers about Genesis, and I didn't see it. Until I started studying for this message, I, 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 want, you to, I want you to look at this fourth verse and see if you see what I saw for the first time. Does anybody see it? Huh? On the third day. On the third day. What day did Jesus Christ resurrect from? Third day. That is that is one of the most profound parallels that I think I have I have ever witnessed. You want to know why? And we'll, we'll finish this out. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place. And he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. He's saying the, the only son, that only begotten, gets up on the third day. That only begotten gets up on the third day. He and I will come back.
I'm going up there to kill him, but God's going to raise him up before I come back down. We're coming back down because he's not going to stay dead. We're coming back on the third day. Man, that just gave me chills. You know what I'm saying? Now, Genesis 22 finishes something out here. 6 through 8 says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and a knife. And as the two of them went up together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And we'll stop again. We'll stop again. Because listen, I'm not going to read the end of the story. The end of the story is, is God wouldn't let Abraham kill Isaac. Abraham raised the knife up to, to take him out. And the voice of the Lord boomed from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He had to say his name twice. He was so focused on obeying God that God had to say his name twice to get his attention. And he said, don't hurt the boy. I just was testing you. Now I know where your heart is. Now I know for sure that I've picked the right guy to be the father, to be the father not only of Israel, but of my church, to be the father of my church. This, this faith, this tenacity. But then... I saw something else. Abraham in verse 8 said this. This is interesting. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. I'm not going to read these verses, but if you'll read just a little past after the point where Abraham was stopped by God killing him, the Bible says that he looked up and there was a ram. Okay, everybody say ram. That there was a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. And it was a ram. Not a lamb. It was a ram that God provided for that sacrifice. And I thought to myself, they said lamb. God gave them a ram. Is there a parallel there at all? And then it hit me. I stopped the only son sacrifice. The next go round. It's going to be the lamb I provide. I'm going to give you a ram because there's only one lamb. I'm going to give you a ram because there's only one lamb. And Jesus Christ, stepping into his ministry, heard the voice of the Father. But at that time, John the Baptist also said, the forerunner, the prophetic forerunner for Jesus Christ's ministry, and the prophetic forerunner said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And even in the book of Revelation, we get all the way to the last book, John turned and said, I turned to see a lion, but I saw a lamb. I thought it was going to be a lion. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. I turned to see a lion, but I saw the lamb. 
Jesus Christ, one who had been pierced. Abraham, I'm going to give you a ram because God himself. Look at that verse again. Look at that verse again. It's powerful. God himself will provide the lamb. For God so loved the world again, he gave his only begotten son. Today, as we understand the idea of walking as a person of faith, it is through the sacrifice of that lamb, Jesus Christ, that Abraham becomes the father of faith to all people. Through that sacrifice, we all have the opportunity to share in the promised land blessing. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, I stand in awe of of your word and of, of being able to even see things in your word that are even new to our hearts and minds and very powerful. And I just, I thank you today for, for giving us this word. And I pray right now that there is anybody in this house who has any question about where they are in you or where they stand, I pray that you would infuse them even now with that faith, that faith of Abraham, our father. And I just declare in Jesus' name that, 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 that the father of faith, faith would rest in us. Jesus, I just, I just ask for your strength and for your help and for your hope in our lives. I pray if there's anybody in this room that is questing salvation, I, I pray that they would just speak out in faith, even right now, and say, say, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. I believe that God raised him from the dead on the third day. I believe he is the lamb that was provided for me. I declare him Lord of my life. I pray that our hearts would be changed, that our, that our, that our spirits would be revived, and that in every instance we would, we would witness your glory and your majesty and your power and your promise to us. We are sojourners too. The Bible declares that we in the church are not of this world. We have we have a new home, a new place, and, and I pray that you would help us all in our, in our journey. Help us in our journey. I know there's struggles. You know there's struggles, Lord. You even declared to us that, that in this world we'd have trouble. And, and I just pray that you, would, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us the faith of the father of faith, Abraham. For this, I give you praise and glory and, and honor because you alone are worthy. I pray that all of us leave this place today better than what we were when we came. Let our lives be better because we came here. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God is good. He's good. Let's clap our hands to the Lord. Just thank Him for it. Thank Him for that sacrifice. Hallelujah. Praise God. Easter's coming, and this is a great... We're, we're, we're walking our way there. Praise God. We end our services with a time of giving... And let me remind you again next week, please be prayerful about bringing a a special missions offering to...